Our scripture lesson today comes from Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 17 and going through verse 31. And you've heard it read this morning. But before I get to Mark chapter 10, I'd like to actually begin with Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 features a lawyer who comes to Jesus and he asks Jesus a question. And the question that he asks Jesus is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds to the question by saying, well, what does the law say? And we all know lawyers like to pontificate. And so he proceeded to say, well, the law says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responded by saying, good answer, go do it. But the guy didn't go do it. Instead, he asked another question, a qualifying question. Well, just, Jesus, who exactly is my neighbor? And that prompts Jesus to begin to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the thing about the way the story ends is that after Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, we have no idea whether the lawyer got the point or not. We're not told that, that he understood it or that he believed it or, or what happened at all. Well, in our scripture lesson in Mark, we have another guy asking the very same question that the lawyer asked Jesus in Luke chapter 10, only Jesus responds to the same question in a completely different way. This man comes up to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not defraud. And then as if Jesus realized that he was framing everything in the negative, for the last one he changes it and frames it in the positive and he says, and honor your mother and your father. And the man in the text says, I've done these things since I was a little boy. Now we have the words that the man said But what we don't really know is how the man said those words. I mean, you think about it. He could have responded in any number of different ways. His response, I've done these things since I was a boy, may have been expressed in a disappointing way. Like he expected to learn something new from this great teacher, Jesus. And and this great teacher didn't teach him anything new. Uh, Maybe he said... Um, I've done all these things since I was a youth in a defensive way. Maybe he thought that Jesus was insinuating that he hadn't done those commandments. And maybe when he responded to Jesus' commandments, he said, I've done every single one of those since I was a little boy. He could have been defensive when he responded to Jesus. He could have been delighted. He could have been feeling really good about himself. I don't know if I could say I could have done all the commandments, but the one you just rattled off, Jesus, I nailed every single one of them, and I've been doing it since I was a little bitty boy. And so all of a sudden he's delighted because his prospects of experiencing the life that God desires for him are feeling pretty good about right now. We don't know how he said those words or what the spirit behind the words were. But we do know that Jesus responded to his statement by saying, Ah, still one thing you lack. Go and sell all of your possessions and give them to the poor 
and come follow me. And we're told that the man did go, but he didn't sell. He went away grieving. He went away shocked because great were his possessions. Well, that's a much different response, a much different answer that Jesus gave him than he gave the lawyer in Luke chapter 10. Why would you respond to the same question by two different people with two different ways? I think maybe the reason is, is because no two of us are alike. Each one of the men that we've talked about in our story this morning, in order to experience the life that God desired for them, in order for them to be the people that God was calling them to be, required much different responses to the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? These men had different areas that they needed to grow in their discipleship. These men had different obstacles that were keeping them from being the people that God was calling them to be. That was true for them And I want to suggest to you that it's also true for all of us. And so with that kind of beginning framework in mind, I'd like for us to look at this text in Mark's Gospel and see what we might learn from it and what our take-home might be for us today. The first thing that I notice is the different ways in which the two men approach Jesus. You know, the lawyer, we're told in Luke chapter 10, is trying to test Jesus when he asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But we get the sense from our man in Mark's gospel that he's not trying to test Jesus at all. And In fact, this man is very sincere and earnest in his question of Jesus. We're told that he actually runs up to Jesus, something that a man wouldn't have done in Jesus' day. It was unbecoming of a man to, to pick up his robe and to run. But this shows you the sense of urgency that this man wanted to see Jesus and to be in Jesus' presence. And when he arrives to Jesus, we're told that the man in Mark's gospel falls on his knees as a way of honoring Jesus, of showing reverence and respect to Jesus. And we're even told that when he addresses Jesus, he calls him a good teacher. But what's surprising to me is the way that Jesus responds. It sounds as if Jesus doesn't like to be called good. Jesus tells the man, no one is good but God alone. And that perplexes me. I don't understand why Jesus would say that. I mean, isn't this the same guy that said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Isn't this the same guy that says that I and the Father are one? And so if God is good, shouldn't Jesus be good too? What in the world does Jesus mean in the way that he responds? Well, I looked at commentary after commentary after commentary this week, and I got no answer for you. I don't know why he said it. If you do, please see me after church. I'd like to know. The only thing that I can think of that might have been in Jesus' mind is that Jesus knows that it was true for them and that it's true for us. Sometimes we can form an attachment with a teacher or a preacher, and that attachment to that teacher or that preacher will substitute our attachment to God. 
Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the deliver of the message, we have our favorite preachers, we have our favorite authors, we have our favorite uh, storytellers, and, 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 and we get so wrapped up in them, and we think that that equals a relationship with God. And so maybe what Jesus is trying to say here is don't use your teachers and your preachers as a substitute for a relationship with God. And so I would suggest to you this morning that maybe one of the take-homes is this. If the only way you're growing in discipleship every week is coming and listening to me preach, you probably, you probably got it wrong. You need more. You can't substitute what I might share with you and what I might share about my relationship with God and replace it for your own relationship. With God, And so maybe that's one of the take-homes that we would have this morning. Then Jesus rattles off all these commandments. I'm curious why He chose the commandments that He did and why He eliminated the ones that He eliminated. He didn't even knock out the top ten, the big ten, the ten commandments. He gave some certain commandments, but not others. And then you start to look at the commandments that He did give. And most of the commandments that Jesus said that this man needed to do in order to inherit eternal life were about doing no harm to other people. Don't murder. Don't cheat with somebody else's spouse. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Only one of the commandments that Jesus has is not about do no harm. It's actually do good And that is, honor your mother and your father. And even doing good in that instance, he's talking specifically about doing good to someone in your own family. Maybe the point that Jesus was trying to make to this man is, you've lived your whole life trying to do no harm to other people, and I applaud you, you've done well. And in certain instances, you've done good, by honoring your mother and your father, but you need to be doing good for people outside of your family. What are you doing good for other people? And maybe that's why Jesus then proceeds to tell him, you need to sell everything you have and give it to people who are not a part of your family. And then come and follow me. Well, the, the commandments that Jesus offered to, to, tells him to go and sell everything, that sounds a little unreasonable to us today, but it was certainly not uncommon in Jesus' day. In Acts, on a couple of different occasions, we're reminded of how all of the early believers pooled together their resources so that people who didn't have, the people that were not a part in their family, could also receive the blessings of those gifts. But we can also point out that there are people like Zacchaeus. Do you remember that story about Zacchaeus? He had swindled all sorts of people out of all sorts of money, and whenever he has an encounter with Jesus, 
Uh, Jesus doesn't tell Zacchaeus to go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and then come follow me. In fact, Zacchaeus is so bold to set his own terms for what he thinks is appropriate. He says, I'll give back half of everything that I own, and if I've wronged anybody for anything, I will pay them back fourfold. And Jesus seems pleased with Zacchaeus' response. Jesus says, well, surely today salvation has entered into your home. So it really does seem as if that the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life, that every single one of us have different obstacles, different things that keep us from growing in our discipleship to be the people that God calls us to be. What I'd like for you to hear this morning is I don't think Jesus is saying that all possessions are bad in and of themselves. He's not saying that. But he is pointing out that there is a very real temptation for every single one of us to place uh, more emphasis on the security that our possessions give us than the security that our God gives us. There is a huge temptation for us to put more faith in our possessions than we have more faith in God. There is a temptation for our possessions to end up possessing us instead of us possessing our possessions. There is a temptation that sometimes we hoard what we have and we will not let it go, even if it's meant to do good for other people, because we're afraid. One of the quotes that I saw this week that really stuck with me as I was preparing for the sermon is that self-gratification's first victim is self-sacrifice. We're so worried about holding on to our own stuff that we're not willing to empty ourselves the way that Christ emptied Himself and the way that Christ calls us to empty ourselves. And so the man just leaves. It's maybe one of the most broken-hearted moments in Scripture. This man who was so well-meaning, this man who was so eager to see Jesus that he rushes up to Him, this man that so revered and respected Jesus that he bowed down before Him, this man who seemingly had such a desire to inherit the eternal life that God was offering, and yet when he found out what he had to do in order to inherit that eternal life, he went away dejected, and dismayed and disappointed because great were his possessions. This is the only call story in Luke's gospel where Jesus invited somebody to go uh, to come and follow him that the person did not go and follow Jesus. And why did he not follow him? Because he'd rather have his stuff. And so I think that's a message for all of us to hear. Now you may be thinking, as I was thinking as I read this, how much stuff does it take for it to begin to impede your discipleship? I mean, how rich do you have to be before it begins to get in the way of your relationship with Jesus? And the answer is always more than what I got, right? Isn't that the way it is? Like, you've got to have more money than I have for that to become an issue. 
Um, it, you got to be richer than me, even though we're richer than most people in the entire world. You got to be richer than me before that becomes a problem. So this doesn't apply to me. But does it? Does it hinder our discipleship? That's a question that we really need to wrestle with. You know, Jesus turned to his disciples at that point and he began to try to use this interaction with the man as a teaching moment. And he talked about how difficult it is for wealthy people to get into heaven because they, they, their stuff begins to possess them and, and, and it impedes their discipleship and their spiritual growth. And the disciples are just, their minds are blown because everything that they've ever heard from the time they were born was that if you had a lot of money, if you had a lot of wealth, that that was a sign of God's divine blessing upon your life. And so all these years they've been thinking that if you got a lot, it's because God blessed you. And now all of a sudden Jesus is saying, well, you might not be able to get into heaven if you've got a lot of stuff. And so they are blown away. And I think what Jesus was just trying to say, that possession of themselves, not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. But when they possess us, what was once a great blessing of God can end up becoming a curse to our relationship with God. Well, the theme of our worship today, in case you haven't caught on, is discipleship. Um, And so the question needs to be asked, what is it that gets in the way of our discipleship? And if what I said at the beginning of the sermon is true and that each one of us is different, then there might be a different thing that's getting in the way of each of our discipleship, our growing in, in the life that God desires for us, our, our growing in relationship with Christ. For some of us here this morning, we might need to rethink or redefine our understanding of who is my neighbor like the lawyer apparently did in Luke chapter 10. For some of us, it might indeed be that our possessions now have possessed us and we're so worried about keeping it to ourselves that we're unable or unwilling to share it with other people. For some of us, it might be that we spend more time on the ball fields than we do on the mission fields. For some of us, it's because we don't read this book faithfully, the book that we just gave to our our teenagers and and our kids. Um, How often do they see us with the Bible open and reading it and seeking to understand and grow in our relationship with God and in our discipleship? And while some of us may have done no harm, is God may be calling us not only to do no harm, but to actually do some good. To be a part of the miracle that God is seeking to do in the world today. Are some of us choosing self-gratification over self-sacrifice, which is the life that Jesus seems clear He wants us to empty ourselves in the way that He emptied Himself. I hope you don't hear any judgment in that. I'm not judging you. I got my own issues, my own obstacles of discipleship. I've got my own things in my life that keep me from living into the life that God desires for me to live. My own issues that are stumbling blocks in my discipleship and in my growing in the ways of God. But I think that's the point that we're supposed to get here. You know, we're told in Mark that 
before Jesus told the man to go sell everything that he had, he said, I, he, we're told that Jesus loved the man. And Jesus loves you too. And Jesus loves me. Even when we have these obstacles to discipleship in our path. But Jesus also loves us enough to have the difficult conversation. To say the thing that we may not want to hear but that we really do need to hear. And for the man in our text, that was, you need to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. It was a tough word for him to hear, but Jesus loved him enough to share that word with him. He didn't want anything to impede his discipleship. And I want the same for you and me.